Hi, this is Stuart Weems, and thank you very much for listening to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights, and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to give you a bit of a warning, and the warning is to not make your strategy fit your investments. So don't build your strategy around your investment strategy around your investments. Instead, develop a strategy and then find the investments that are going to underpin the success of that strategy. And so what I find is quite often people do the reverse. They make a series of ad hoc investment decisions, and then they sit back and go, wow, okay, so what is my strategy? I've got these assets, and so I'm going to build a strategy around these assets. Um, The problem with that is that you end up with potentially a very inefficient or, in fact, ineffective, uh, that is, you're not going to reach a goal, way of actually building wealth. Moreover, um, particularly in the last couple of years, I've witnessed businesses that I think are compromising fundamentals in order to deal with or or meet what either the market's offering, uh, that's in particular in, in sort of property and shares and so forth, or to meet customer demand. And uh, so I think you need to be really wary of that as well. So um, the first thing I want to sort of talk about is that sexy investments sell very well. So, um, uh, you know, the the two primary emotions that we must uh, avoid being influenced by with respect to making financial decisions is fear and greed. And and to some extent, we all get um, influenced by these emotions. But we need to recognise when we're acting from fear or when we're acting from greed and then go back to fundamentals. And the best way to do that is really have a set of investment rules. So, you know, if you're making share market investments, for example, and you've made a decision to invest in this particular index fund uh, and it's a long-term investment decision, then that is a rule. It's a long-term investment decision. So when you have volatility like we, we had in November and December uh, last year in 2018, uh, you can go back to that rule and go, no, I'm not selling out or I'm not going to panic or I'm not going to reduce my exposure because this is my rule. So that's one of the best ways, I think, to avoid um, making emotional financial decisions. But anyway, coming back to sexy investments, you know, if you want to build a financial services business, a successful one that attracts lots of new clients, uh, really what you need to do is start selling a, a sexy investment. And really an investment that promises high returns with little risk will typically have wide appeal to the mass market. That's a sexy investment. The problem is, though, or the challenge is that sexiness and fundamentals uh, are almost always inversely related. So that is, the sexier the investment looks, typically the less fundamentals it has, but the reverse is true as well. So fundamentally sound investments are usually dry, dull, boring, and very unexciting, except for the fact that they help you achieve your goals and generate good long-term returns. So I guess I shouldn't say they're unexciting in the short term they're unexciting or possibly unexciting. In the longer term, there's nothing more exciting in my view uh, than uh, being able to meet your lifestyle and and financial goals. So I guess what I'm saying in short is don't be distracted by shiny objects. And we really got to understand or have a healthy level of scepticism, I think. So, you know, no one trusts really used car salespeople. You know, and the reason that we don't trust them is that their goal is to make a sale and they might do or say anything to achieve that goal in order to make that sale. So uh, not that they're bad people or the enemy or anything like that. We just, when dealing with someone in that position, we have a healthy level of scepticism 
uh, and and we are skeptical about what they say and do, and we really make up our own mind, and we realise the onus is on us to make certain inquiries and investigations independent of what we've been told by the salesperson to to either validate our our decision making. And I think the same is true when it comes to some financial services businesses that are selling some sexy products. Um, We need to have a healthy level of scepticism if we're dealing with anyone that has something uh, for us to sell. That's not to say, again, that everyone's a crook out there or that everyone's going to try and rip you off. But really the point is, if I'm an investment manager and I'm selling a managed fund or I'm a buyer's agent, I'm trying to sell some some properties to my clients or find people that that, that want to invest in property, then my goal is to really highlight all the benefits, but not necessarily dwell on many of the negatives. Um, But of course, you as an investor need to weigh up those two things equally. And so the onus is on you to to make inquiries and do certain due diligence uh, to make sure you're making a prudent decision um, and have and apply that healthy level of scepticism uh, to, to whoever's you know assisting you from that business. And I guess um, the reason I'm, I'm uh, recording this podcast at this time is I've seen a, a few different things over the last couple of years that have kind of concerned me. And that is, I think because you know the way the market has has changed. Certainly last year, though, you know the property market sort of cooled off a little bit, uh, so maybe there weren't as many transactions around. Um, uh, the second thing is, you know, obviously Melbourne and Sydney have had a pretty sta- stable run over the last sort of five years, so affordability is uh, tough as well. You know, if you want an entry level investment grade property uh, in Sydney, you're probably looking at north of eight eight fifty and north of five hundred in Melbourne, and not every Everyone's going to be able to uh, uh, to achieve that, and uh, thirdly, and also interrelated, is the is the pressure on borrowing capacity. So obviously, uh, three or four years ago, we could borrow almost twice as much on average than what we can do today, and that's put um, pressure on. Uh, people's capacity to invest. And so how some businesses have responded to that is by giving alternative investments or recommending alternative investments, you know, going to regional towns or looking more closely at rental yield rather than capital growth. And in a way, changing the story that they may have otherwise told or they did tell in the past when it was possible, when borrowing capacity, there wasn't a lot of pressure on borrowing capacity or the you know, capital city markets weren't as high. And um, and that's that's sort of concerning. Obviously, we can understand there's a commercial uh, incentive or pressure for a business to serve or, or or sell X amount of products. You know, and particularly as they grow in size, in terms of employee numbers and so forth, there's even more sort of commercial pressure to do that. Um, but but I think sticking to the businesses, even if they're selling something, but sticking to the businesses that only do what they believe in. So rather, they're not influenced by what's available in the market, nor are they influenced by customer demand. They they know, you know, the good quality buyers agents, for example, know that, okay, this is what, what an investment grade property looks like. Uh, this is what it's going to cost. And we need to find or talk to potential investors that are able to, uh, to meet that budget. And if they're not, we're not going to compromise on what we do. And so just be aware, there, there's, I've observed certainly, businesses out there that that have sort of changing their approach, if you like, or changing or they have very sort of loose beliefs in what makes a a good or bad investment. Um, Secondly, uh, another example is an actively managed fund 
that's what's called a high conviction fund. Typically a high conviction managed fund has only a very small number of holdings. So they might invest in 20 or less stocks, um, uh, shares that they have a high conviction that are going to work. Um, the problem with that is that you've got a lot of concentration risk and there's a lot of studies to demonstrate that that doesn't, that doesn't work, it doesn't generate returns. But moreover than that, let's ignore sort of headline returns they might be advertising. The problem with a high conviction actively managed fun is they tend to have a lot of turnover as well. So all that headline return is really income or realised capital gains, in which case you pay tax on it each and every year, and there's virtually no capital growth return. So they're kind of the two examples where um, businesses and advertising out there might uh, seduce you into um, building your strategy around products. So seduce you into making investments. Oh, that looks good, so I'll put a little bit of money in there. And then, as I said, a couple of years later, start working out, okay, what is my strategy? So in the, the blog that I wrote this week, I used the, the sub-headline, you wouldn't swim to Europe. And it's obvious, right? Um, swimming has lots of benefits and positives. It doesn't cost anything. It's good for your health. Um, lots of people find swimming an enjoyable pastime. Uh, but we all realise that if we want to go to Europe, we can't swim there. You know, we've got to jump on a plane and, and take a flight there. And I know it sounds like a, a, a ridiculous or far-fetched analogy, but really it highlights the foolishness of investing in asset with really a, without considering your goals. You know, so if my goal is to get to Europe safely and relatively quickly, I know while swimming is a great activity as, it, as it's on its own, in context of what I want to achieve, swimming's not going to be the right way to get there. And the same, you might look at an investment, it might be fundamentally sound and perfect, but it just not, not be the right asset in order to help you achieve your goals. So um, without the context of having a strategy in place, it's very difficult to find the right assets then that are going to help you achieve your goals. Um, and in fact, I would say that it's almost a recipe for, for a mistake or a series of mistakes. So when contemplating uh, an investment activity, you really need to ask yourself two questions. The first one is, is this a quality investment? Does it have the underlying fundamentals? Is there evidence, overwhelming evidence that uh, if I invest in this asset or use this methodology, that it's actually going to produce the returns that I expect? So is it a quality investment? The second question is, um, is the, the nature and quantum of the expected investment returns going to actually help me ret to retire? So for example, if I'm looking at a regional uh, property investment, for example, and the evidence shows me that capital growth is, is less, substantially less than a blue chip capital city location, but the rental yield is maybe a couple of percent higher, so we might be looking at a 5% or even a 6% rental yield. So it might be, say, 2 or 3% higher than a, than a blue chip location. I can just do some simple maths in a spreadsheet to work out in 20 years' time, what will the rental income be uh, versus the expenses and the interest expense for that property and how much equity will I have? And then I can compare that, for example, to a capital city property that's going to have a lot lower rental income but probably higher capital growth and measure again, using, uh, using the same sort of simple maths to work out how's that going to work out. So um, that, that'll help you really work out whether that's actually going to help you achieve your goal. Much like the analogy of swimming to Europe, you know, you know, once you do the numbers, if I can swim, it takes me an hour or so to swim a, a K or whatever it might be, you can work out you're just never going to get there. 
Um, so strategy development is actually quite simple. You know, so, so what I'm sort of saying is we need to have a strategy before we start thinking about tactics, so that is investments. And strategy is actually relatively simple. We like to make it a little bit more complex, I think, in our own mind. But really, um, there's really two sort of considerations. Uh, firstly, if you don't have a strong asset base, that's we, if, that is a, a, a reasonable amount of net worth, um, then that's the first thing that you need to do. You need to acquire a strong or build a strong asset base. And you only need two things to do that. Firstly, you need um, to let the, the benefit of compounding capital growth do all the heavy lifting. So that is, you need to invest in assets that provide high and sustainable level of capital growth over the long run, not just capital growth for the next couple of years. You want to invest in assets that are going to provide, provide perpetual capital growth. And secondly, borrowing safely to invest in those assets will certainly speed up the benefits of that compounding capital growth. Um, so that's what you need to do if you don't have a strong asset base. That should be your strategy. Uh, if you if you already have a strong asset base and or you're close to retirement, um, then really what you need to be doing is balancing out income and capital growth. Still might want a little bit of capital growth, but you start to prioritise income over capital growth. And the second thing you need to do is really protect your capital. So you know at, at that stage you want to you don't want to lose money. Uh, not losing money becomes far more important than the amount of money that you're actually going to make or, or your returns. So then once you know um, what your goals are, which camp you fall into, should you be focusing primarily on capital growth or do you already have a good asset base and you should balance those considerations out? Depending on which camp you sit in, it'd be much easier then to identify the assets that actually help you achieve your goals and move you forward in terms of a uh, investment strategy. Of course, it's possible that you still might need some independent advice, some help in really working out the mix of assets, but certainly using this approach will certainly help you avoid making any, any major mistakes, um, that's for sure. So really in closing, having a strategy gives you a context for making a decision. Uh, you know, whether to swim to Europe gives you a context for making that decision, you know, as opposed to should I just go for a swim? Uh, and the same is true, obviously, with financial planning. And, and, and your goal and your context could be as something as broad as, um, you know, I just want to retire by the age 60 on $100,000 of income, for example. Um, but at least then you can ask yourself, if I do X, Y, or Z, uh, which one of those is going to get me closer to that goal? And, that, and again, it gives you a context to compare assets and asset returns and so forth. So that's it for this week. Uh, and I ha do have one favour to ask you. Uh, that is, please share. If you, if you enjoy these podcasts or while listening to the podcast or reading the blog, uh, you can think of someone that else that might enjoy it um, I certainly would really appreciate you sharing that and uh, maybe even suggesting they subscribe it would be fantastic okay until next week bye for now